Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Welcome to week number 8 of our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We are reminded once again, both now by way of introduction and again later, of the importance of this context. Jesus is speaking about the lifestyle, that is the coming and the going, the lifestyle of those who belong to Jesus' kingdom. This is not an evangelical, excuse me, an evangelistic sermon. It is not an outreach sermon. It is not a Billy Graham crusade. This is preached to the convinced. And this is, of course, an important context. Let's pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray again once more, just as we sit under the teaching of your word, that you would mold us and shape us, uh, that you would challenge us, comfort us, convict us, and mold us into the image of your Son. Tonight, especially as it relates to the, the manner of our prayers and our demeanor toward you in prayer. Uh, we ask for your help and for your insight in Christ's name. Amen. If a child wants to ask for something from their father, uh, they will pattern the request after the nature and the temperament of the father. You understand? If the child wants to ask for something from their father, they will pattern the request after what they know or believe to be true of their father. If the father is, uh, is ill-tempered, stingy, then the child will ask for very little, right? He will take care when he comes to his father for his request. He, he will take care to, uh, to carefully word his request um, in order to be as unobjectionable as possible. He'll come very timidly, right? But if the father is good-natured and generous, then the child will come readily and just ask, right? Confidently. When my children were, were very, very little, um, and my California mom, Donna uh, and Greg, when they would come for a visit, um, my kids were so young. I mean, they hadn't spent any life around Greg and Donna. Um, but yet they would, you know, greet them like they knew them for, you know, 50 years. And, and, uh, and I, I told Donna, I said, that's so wild. Like, they don't, they don't really know you. 
but, um, you know, they, they love you, you know. And she said, she said to me, a child who is loved is ready to love, right? And it's very similar to the way that a child will ask. You know, a child who is secure and who is loved will, you know, hey, can I have this? Can I have that? And my children are so loved that they don't even ask. Luke just gets up from the dinner table and he goes into the pantry and he brings the cookie jar out. And I go, what are you doing? And he goes, we're having cookies, aren't we? My father is generous, <laughs> right? So secure, so loved, right? Well, it's the same thing spiritually. When we pray, we will pray in keeping with the view of God that we have in prayer. The Greeks believed that the gods were fickle, uh, that they were uh, disconnected, that they were, uh, I guess a, w- a good word would be capricious. They, they were willing to be kind, but also willing to be angry just for the sake of it. They were unpredictable, unreliable, were these Greek gods. And so the Greeks would come fearful, very sort of hesitant to make requests of the gods that they worshipped. And all they could do was just hope that when the request comes to this divinity, this, this divine, that they'd be in a good and amicable mood. But, Jesus presents in these verses a God who is gracious. And the one who believes that God is gracious will come to him boldly. He will not be afraid to ask for good things. And so this is the reason why these verses are so important. It isn't merely that Jesus tells us to pray. We find that all over the Bible. It's that Jesus describes the demeanor of the one who is being petitioned. And so the only question is, are we going to take Jesus at his word? When we pray, are we praying to the God who Jesus describes? Or a version of God of our own making? That would be the question. When we pray, are we praying to the God that Jesus describes? Or, in our minds, a God of our own making? Well, I want to start the evening with, um, first, just a brief overview of the scriptures where we are, number one, we are encouraged to pray. And so here is a, as a sample of the scriptures encouraging us to pray. In Jeremiah, God tells the prophet, call upon me, or maybe through the prophet to the people, call upon me. I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things. Famously, Solomon, upon the inauguration of his tenure as the king over Israel, God appears to him in a vision and he says, Ask, what shall I give you? 
recorded in Isaiah chapter 7, God says to King Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ask. Jesus in Matthew 18, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Again, Jesus in Mark chapter 11. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Jesus in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Which is, of course, why we always... The habit of Christian prayer is to always pray in the name of Jesus. In the famous Abiding in the Vine, chapter John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Same chapter, later on, Jesus said, You did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you. This is one of the critical aspects of recognizing that it it is God who calls us. We respond, he calls us. He makes the first move, right? But it doesn't stop there. You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then, of course, famously in James, this is a prayer that uh, the elders pray together often. It's a prayer that I pray regularly. It's a prayer that I hope I never stop praying. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Meaning God, it, God is not bothered by this request. So there it is. From Jeremiah through the prophets, Jesus and the apostles, we are encouraged over and over and over again by God to pray. It, it is often asked cynically by the cynic or by the skeptic, If God knows everything, which of course he does, not if but since, since God knows everything, including what you're going to ask him in prayer, what is the point of prayer? Well, first of all, the question betrays a bad theology of prayer, okay? As if the only objective in prayer is to get something from the magical genie in the sky, 
Okay, that's... So it betrays a bad theology, and that sometimes, it's not anyone's fault. Sometimes it's just a matter of a lack of maturity and time spent with the Lord. And the only thing that can remedy that is time and discipleship, right? But it also simply ignores the many times that God implores his people to call on him. Ask me, ask me, ask me. You know, I think it would be a, I think it would be a very sad, a very sad moment uh, in my family if I were to ask, you know, my children, "Hey, what do you want for your birthday?" And they say, "Well, we know the economy is, you know, not going great, and we know you're a pastor and stuff, and you know that's not historically, you know, well." I don't know, it depends on the context. It's not historically a, a lucrative, you know, situation, you know. And, uh, you know, and look, I did just get some new, you know, shoes because I tore up my old shoes. And no, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need anything. I don't, I don't want anything. I don't, I don't deserve anything, really. I wasn't very good. If, <laughs> if you only knew how many cookies I took when you weren't, you know, and so, you know, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Well, here I am, the father. I love to dote on my children. I arrange my monthly budget so that I can, when the birthday comes around, let's go for it, you know? The father loves to dote on his kids. And it'd be a sad thing for me as a dad to, to, for my child to feel so worthless in my sight, so undervalued, that they would say, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. That would be a sad day for me. I can only think that that same sentiment is, is experienced by the Father, only perfectly, right? So why do we pray? Well, first and foremost, the Scriptures, man, the Lord is calling on us, encouraging us to pray. However, we'll notice nextly that, number two, there are conditions for prayer. Those verses that I just read, one after another, sounds like a blank check, right? Just fill out the check and I'll sign it. Well, as we continue to fill out a proper theology of prayer, we'll notice there are conditions for prayer. And here's the key phrase, which I'll reinforce. Ready? The requests are conditional Therefore, the promise is limited. The requests are conditional. Therefore, the promise is limited. Promises like, ask deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Right? Well, what we find is that there are conditions to those prayers. And therefore, the, the promise that comes in those Verses is limited. Again, from James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. God gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. But, condition, but, let him ask in faith, with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we know that the first condition is faith. Let him ask in faith. That's like this past Sunday when we noted that, that Peter was rescued from prison. There in Acts 12, they were praying for him, but then when, when their prayers were answered, they didn't believe it. They thought, no, 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 no. that's his ghost outside because he's already been executed because, of course, God didn't hear our prayers. <laughs> Let him ask in faith. So the first condition is faith. R.C. Sproul says, religion without faith is a deadly thing. And history proves that statement. Yeah? Religion without faith? How about the Crusades? James 4, he goes on to offer another condition. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Well, okay. Well, what's the wrong? What's wrong about my request? Well, James fills that in. To spend it on your passions. Or in the King James, I think it says to to satisfy your lusts. Same idea. So the second condition is motive, right? You ask and you do not receive because you ask for stuff to just consume. Your motive is selfish. So first condition, you gotta have faith. Second condition, you gotta have the right motive and then John, the apostle, when writing his letters to the church, he says, whatever, you, whatever we ask, we receive from him because. Here comes another, another condition, right? These are conditional words, aren't they? Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. This is 1 John 3, if you're curious. Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he has commanded us. So the third, oh, third condition is obedience. Obedience to Jesus' commands. Now, before you start saying, well, that sounds a little bit like legalism, let's remember that the Great Commission was to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then what comes next? Come on, go ahead, say it loud. Teaching them to do what? Obey everything I have commanded you. Yeah. There is no such thing as a disciple who does not obey. This is his commandment, John says, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, if you believe in Jesus, then you obey him, because to believe him is to believe that he is God. And to believe that he is God means he created the world. And if he created the world, then he's in charge of the world. And if he is Lord, Romans 5 9 and 10. If he is Lord, that means he's in charge. So to believe him is to obey him. 
So the third condition is obedience. I mean, we, we begin to go through these conditions, and, and it, it begins to poke holes in our own prayer life, doesn't it? Well, I'm asking for selfish reasons, for my own comfort, so my motives are off, or I'm asking, but I'm not, I don't really believe that A, he hears me, or B, he knows, or cares, or can, or will, no faith, no confidence. I'm certainly not walking according to his commands. In fact, I'm harboring bitterness right now as we speak against my brother or my sister in the Lord. This is his command that we believe and love one another. So I wonder, maybe my prayers aren't being answered because I'm not being loving to my brother or my sister in Christ. Maybe that's why my prayers aren't being answered. You see, as we begin to go down these conditions, they begin to shine a little light, don't they, in our hearts? Fourth condition, again, John is writing to the church, 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence that we have toward him that we, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Another condition, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So that's a fourth condition. The fourth is that our requests are consistent with his will. Well, what is the will of God? Well, there's 66 books. He has spoken his will, right? In every various shape and size and circumstance that humanity might find themselves in, the Lord has, has revealed his intentions. Right? Every emotional state you find yourself in, the Lord has revealed his intentions for it through the Psalms. So if we're going to pray according to his will, we have to know his word, right? But we certainly have to pray according to his will if we want to have any confidence that he will hear our prayers. And so, is it the Lord's will to heal you of your bodily ailment? Don't know. Is it the Lord's will to heal you of your spiritual ailment? Yes, for sure. Right? So, we ask for healing, but we know not whether it's his intention or his will to heal us. We know that it's his will, will to heal us eternally and glorify us. So we can certainly pray that with confidence according to his will. You see the difference? Fifth and final condition that I can find in the scriptures. Right here in Matthew 7. These promises are made not to the masses, but to the disciples. And who is a disciple? Mark 8, Luke 9, take up your cross and follow me. So the fifth condition is simply that you are his child. That you're his child? Chuck Smith tells a story about um, early in his pastoral ministry, uh, he went to do a house call. He went to do a, a house visit with, to a woman who had visited uh, the church, and her husband uh, answered the door and 
he had no interest in speaking to the local pastor. His daughter was in braces on her legs all the way up to her hips because she was diagnosed with polio. And this, uh, this man was pretty angry at God for allowing his child to contract polio. And he says, uh, why, would, why would a good God, don't tell me that there's a good God who loves us. You, you see my daughter here. <laughs> and Chuck, I don't know that I'd have the, the gall you know, to say this to this man on his front porch. But Chuck said, well, sir, do you serve the Lord? Are you his child? Is he your king? And he says, jump, do you say how high? No, didn't think so, which is what he deciphered through a string of expletives. And he said this, then why do you suppose God owes you anything? And that's a pretty hard thing to say to a dad who just said, hello, here's my child. But here is the point. The condition that Jesus presents this promise, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. This is not an evangelistic sermon. I've said this every week of the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. When you go back to chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, who came to him? His disciples. And then he began to speak to those who were convinced, to those who had taken up their cross, to those who were following him, to those whom he had chosen. The promises are for the children. And so the fifth condition is that you be a child of God. Leslie tonight was at dinner, and two little ones came. Two little ones came up to her and asked if they could get dessert, not her children. <laughs> Two little, I think it was, um, it was little Josie and it was little, uh, little Chris, I think it was, yeah. And both times she said, well, I think you have to go ask your mom. <laughs> I think you have to go ask your mom if you can have dessert. And then she looked at me and she said, why are these, why are they coming up to me and asking me this? And I thought, well, I mean... It's kind of like my kids. They ask Pop. They don't ask me, hey, Pop, can I have some cookies? Don't tell Dad. I'm sitting right there, you know? And he always says yes, because he's Pop. Why did they do that tonight? I, maybe just for me to have an illustration. What did she say? She said, I'm not your mom. I can't speak for her. You're not my child. I'm not responsible for you. In fact, I, 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 don't, I don't owe you anything. The requests are conditional. They must be offered in faith. They must be offered with the right motive. They must be offered by one who is obedient to the commands of Christ. They must be offered by one who is a child of God. Or else we should have no confidence whatsoever that the Lord hears us and we're coming to him with these types of promises. But it doesn't stop there. 
It begins broad, doesn't it? Ask and I'll give it to you. Anything in my name and I'll do it for you. Now we've got five conditions. You keep going and really there's more. We come to number three. Beyond conditions in prayer, we are compelled to prevail in prayer. Deuteronomy 4.29. God is telling through the through Moses and his, you know, these are great sermons that he's preaching. Kind of like, this is, you know, this is his, uh, uh, his siren song, I guess. Isn't that what you call it? And he's preaching and he's saying, listen, you know, you've made this covenant before the Lord and you promised that you're going to obey him. But God has already told me you're not. You're going to disobey him. And when you disobey him, he's going to do what he said he would do, which is export you from the land. You'll be taken captive by the same type of people who you drove out. They will be for you what you are to those people. So they will be my hand of justice or judgment on you as you are my hand of judgment on the people who we're driving out of the land right now. And you'll be carried off. And they were, right? We know the story. He says, but... From there, from captivity, you will seek the Lord. This is Deuteronomy 4, 29. You will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's prevailing in prayer. You will find him. You will seek after him. You will search for him if... You'll find him if you do so with all your heart and with all your soul. Of course, this is consistent with what, you know, Jesus commanded. It's consistent with the Shema. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. David in the Psalms, Psalm 105, he says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence, ready, continually. Seek his presence continually. I prayed about it twice. If my kids ask me for something and then like don't mention it for a month, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to know they didn't really want that thing to begin with. It wasn't that big of a deal. I'm glad I didn't spend my money on it because they lost interest in a hurry. Quite the contrary. When David was handing the kingdom over to Solomon, he said, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Now remember, no one seeks God, Romans 3.11. No one loves God, no one loves good, no one seeks God. So the seeking is not a seeking for salvation. It is, though, a seeking for forgiveness, as we find the people of Israel in captivity, seeking and asking God to forgive them and forgive the sins of their fathers. It's a seeking for wisdom, a seeking for provision, Give us this day our daily bread. It's a seeking for purity. It's a seeking for relief from temptation. 
And all of this is meant to be from the child to the father, not from the stranger to his enemy. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And so to his disciples, Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Do you notice the accelerating nature of those? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Do you see how those things increase in intensity? Is that how we pray? Do we increase in intensity as the prayer goes unanswered? Ask, seek, knock. Or is it, do we shoot up these prayers and then we just quickly just, just lose steam? Uh, two or three times I prayed and then I just kind of gave up. And I guess the Lord doesn't hear me. No, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. What might it look like, friends, if your unanswered prayers were offered with increased stamina and intensity instead of decreasing? What might happen? To which the question is asked, and we might probably, we probably go, I don't know. I've never done that. Well, I think what is helpful about a study like this through the Sermon on the Mount, is that we're not talking about theoretical, you know, you know, doctrinal theories of the church and of function, and uh, you know, it's not it's not Romans chapter, you know, twelve challenging, you know, Romans seven and the 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 context of the Gentile church and the Hebrew church and God's intentions, and you know, it's like no, it's right here. Ask, seek, knock. What's the lesson for today? The lesson for today is like, it goes down like sugar cereal. It's, it's so easy. It's right here. I'm not asking you to go on like a deep journey with me into the, the ether of impossible to understand biblical principles and situations. Those exist, friends. Half my work week, I'm spent like under the cloud of some of these hard questions that I wrestle with in the scriptures. This is right here for us. It's right here. Eat it. Take it. Ask, seek, knock. Increase. Be persistent. In fact, we find it right here. Luke 11, he says to them, which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer you from within, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are in the bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you. Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. All right, fine. What? <laughs> Whatever it takes to get you off my porch at midnight, here's your bread. It's a good thing that you're a good friend, or I would have shot a stranger. You see, you know what I mean? That's the, that's the picture Jesus paints. 
So Jesus follows that up. I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. The parallel passage to what we're studying right now in Luke. Of course, famously, James 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for another that you might be healed. But it doesn't stop there. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, meaning he was a sinner too, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain. Which is why many translations include the accelerator in the verse, the prayer of a righteous person, the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much or has great power at its working. Persistence. Prevailing in prayer, not giving up. Well, we do then, it is good, after being challenged about the nature of our prayers, it's good to come back, number four, to the promises that God offers in prayer. The promises of prayer. There are conditions and there is the requisite fervency. But God makes some wonderful promises to us to not discourage us. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If my people, okay, these are covenant people. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Jesus, again, in that parallel in Luke's account says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In Matthew's account, it says, give good things to those who ask Him. In Luke's account, Jesus promises the Spirit. And so the ultimate promise is that you will not be withheld the Spirit who will help you and keep you and encourage you and strengthen you, make you able to stand, make you able to persevere. The promises of prayer are not health and ease, healing, financial blessing. Those are the promises of Satan. What did, what did Satan offer Jesus? I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. Right? Why should you be hungry? Make some bread. Promises of Satan are all about your health and your ease and your finances. The promises of Jesus are that God will give you the Spirit who will sustain you, who will encourage you, who will strengthen you, who will make you able to persevere. If you're following the McShane reading plan, you probably read this this morning like I did. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. For doing, for doing what? Well, they, they refused to worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar that he set up. And Nebuchadnezzar says, come on, guys, just, just recant. Just worship. Just worship my image. And they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you 
have set up. What was the point here? Maybe he'll save us, or maybe he'll preserve us in the fire, or maybe we'll perish. Either way, we will obey, right? So the promise is not always that he will absolutely rescue you from the fire. You might be consumed by it. Uh, this past Monday, October 16th, 500 or so years ago, 1555, two English pastors were scheduled to be, to be burned at the stake for their crimes against the Catholic Church. Their names were Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. Who's heard of these guys? My nana has. I should say my kid's nana. Their crime was preaching the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice once and for all in opposition to the Catholic Mass, which presents Jesus as being crucified again and again and again, and the necessity of that. And so that morning, October 16th, 1555, Ridley said, Though my breakfast will be somewhat sharp, my supper will be more pleasant and sweet. And so strapped back to back against a pole, a bag of gunpowder was placed around their necks, and the flames were lit at their feet, these two men who refused to recant. Latimer called out to his friend, Ridley, saying, Be of good heart, brother, for God will either assuage the fury of the flame or else strengthen us to abide it. And here's a picture, if you're curious, of the spot where this took place in England. Now, friends, when I read that story this week, on the anniversary of that event, I was convicted that my prayers are too often shallow self-centered, infrequent, feeble, faithless, and biblically illiterate. And so I would just ask that as Don sometimes reads from the recorded prayers of the heroes of our faith, that we allow them to challenge and educate our habits of prayer. After wrestling with this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, I asked myself, with all this encouragement to pray, like all those references that I just read to you, all these promises about prayer and God hearing us and responding and the bevy of instances where Jesus implores us to pray and to pray fervently, I, I asked myself, why don't I pray more? Why am I not more bold? Why am I so timid, so infrequent, so small-minded? And it is my hope that my own personal conviction may be of benefit to you and give, give word to your own sense of conviction. Well, then last night during family worship, Leslie read this excerpt from Martin Luther as part of uh, the catechism question of the week regarding the Lord's Prayer. Luther asks, do you feel weak and timid? Flesh and blood always hinder faith as if you're not worthy or fit and in earnest to pray. Or do you doubt whether God has heard you because you're a sinner? Do you feel weak or timid? Right? Do you feel unworthy, unfit? Do you doubt whether God has heard you because you're a sinner? These are good questions, aren't they, friend? 
Luther offers this as a response. Then cling to the word and say, Though I am a sinner and unworthy, yet I have the command of God that tells me to pray and his promise that he will graciously hear me, not because of my worthiness, but for the sake of the Lord Christ. By this means, you can drive away the thoughts and doubts and cheerfully kneel down and pray, not regarding your worthiness or unworthiness, but your need. And upon his word, which he tells you, especially since he has placed before you and put into your mouth the words how and what you are to pray for, so that you joyously send up these prayers through him and lay them in his bosom, that he may lay them by his own worthiness before the Father. Well, that's good encouragement to pray. That's good encouragement to think not on our own worthiness to be answered by the Father, but to think on the worthiness of our mediator, Jesus the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word and the very practical nature of these portions of scripture that we're examining together on these Wednesday nights. There's nothing... Uh, well, there's, there's nothing terribly existential about this. You want us to come to you and to pray. You teach us through your word how to pray rightly, You've given to us a list of the conditions to weigh against our prayers. And should they meet those qualifications, we can come to you boldly and in faith and with persistence and have no reason to think that the Father who loves us, who died for us, would turn us away when we ask in faith and according to your will and in walking in a pattern of obedience, loving one another as your child in the faith. Oh Lord, help us. Remind us. Convict us to pray. In Christ's name we ask.